There is a proverb that says that the hardest instrument in the orchestra to play is second fiddle. We sometimes hear people say, there are said of people that well, they didn't like playing second fiddle. And of course, the point is not about violins or orchestras. The point is about having to be in second place or having to be subordinate to someone else. And we Americans just really don't have much use for second place, do we? We have a whole mythology, if you will, about the glories of first place, and we don't talk a lot about second place. We don't remember who came in second place. Can anybody tell me who lost the 1997 Super Bowl? Anybody tell me who lost the 1940? Who did somebody say? Thanks. Pray for me, please. How about the 1948 World Series? Who lost that series? Or how about the 1982 World Basketball Championship, NBA Basketball Championship? We all know that Michael Phelps won eight gold medals at the Olympics, but who won the silvers? Does anybody care who won the silvers? And we won't talk about the bronzes. Well, right or wrong, second place is... For us, anyway, a place of failure. It's a defeat. Our competitive spirit just doesn't allow anything other than first. And yet the Bible tells us of a person who was born to second place. It tells us of a person whose life's work was to constantly point away from himself to someone else. He spent his career watching people walk away from him and go to someone else because he wasn't the one. And yet, this person was one of the greatest people in the whole Bible. And that's not my personal judgment. That is the judgment of the one who was first. That is the judgment of Jesus himself. And tonight, I want to look at the life of the one who is in second. I want us to take a look at the life of John the Baptist because I think there are things in his life and in his faithful service to the Lord that can inspire us, that can encourage us to greater faithfulness. So I invite you to have your Bibles open to the Gospels, and, and we're going to be passing from one to the other as we tell the story of John the Baptist. John's story begins centuries before he was born. It begins in the days of the prophets. There are at least three prophecies about a coming one, about a forerunner, about one who would prepare the way for the Messiah who was to come. Isaiah in the 8th century wrote, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. A few centuries later, at the end of the Old Testament period, after the exile and after God's people had returned to Jerusalem and rebuilt his city and his temple, the prophet Malachi spoke to God's people and said, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. God says that through Malachi. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. 
And again, Malachi says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before that great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. And when we listen to Isaiah and we listen to Malachi, it sounds like the coming of the forerunner is rather ominous and rather dreadful, threatening perhaps. But we know that the actual arrival of the forerunner was anything but ominous, was anything but threatening. Instead, it was quiet. It was an event that didn't receive much notice, if it received any. The arrival of the forerunner begins in the temple in Jerusalem, and there is a priest on duty in the temple, a man named Zechariah, who is well along in years. And Luke says this about him in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. The division of priests that Zechariah belonged to was taking their turn in service in the temple. There were a great number of divisions because there were a great number of priests. And there were just so many of them that there was a rule among the priests that They could only one time in their life go in and burn incense before the Lord. Just one time, because there were so many to do that. Well, one day the privilege comes to Zechariah. He has the privilege of going in and offering the incense. And so he goes in, and the people wait for him. For The tradition was that once he had made the sacrifice, that he would come out and he would bless the people who were waiting for him in the courtyard. And as Zechariah performs his duties, something happens that has never happened before to any other priest. And what happens is that an angel of the Lord appears to him. And the scriptures say that Zechariah was terrified, that he was gripped with fear. And the angel tries to assure him not to be afraid. And the angel has a message for him. And the message is in Luke 1, beginning in verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah in his lifetime never imagined he would hear words like those. He never thought he would hear, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a child. 
And then he hears this from the angel, and not only is he going to have a son, but that son is a special son. One who will be great before the Lord. One whom the prophets had spoken of. What did the old man think? What did he feel to have this special son promised? Well, we kind of know how Zechariah felt about this, don't we? He's not so sure. How can I believe this? I'm old and, and Liz is old and... How are we going to have a baby? Zechariah sees the angel and he hears the angel, but he doesn't believe the angel's message. It's just too good to be true. And the angel understands his unbelief. And he answers it by introducing himself. I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news. To bring this good news. And then Gabriel gives Zechariah a sign that all of this will come to pass, as he said. Zechariah will be unable to speak until everything comes to pass. And sure enough, he goes ahead and he finishes priestly duties, offers the incense, and then returns to the courtyard where he should give the blessing to the people. But he can't speak a word. He is unable to speak the blessing. And God's people understand that something very special has happened. And they begin to wonder what is going on. And so Zechariah finishes his duties in Jerusalem and he goes home to Elizabeth. And somehow he communicates what has happened to him. And then to their great joy, the impossible happens. She conceives. She is going to have a baby, just as the angel had said. And when she's about six months into her pregnancy, her relative Mary comes for a visit, comes to see how she is. And when Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, something marvelous happens. When she hears Mary's voice, the baby in her womb leaps with joy. And she expresses praise to God and wonder that the mother of her Lord would come to see her. Well, the final months go by and the great day arrives at last. Look at Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 57. Now the time for Elizabeth to give, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all of their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. 
No one understands what this child is about or why he's been born, but they see that the hand of the Lord is with him. John Zachariah sings a great hymn, and then the silent years of John's life begins. And the only thing that we know about his upbringing is in verse 80. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Well, the day of his appearance takes place some 30 years in the future. He's living in the wilderness of Judea, and maybe your maps will help here. He's living near the Dead Sea. And finally, everything is ready in God's time schedule. And the word of the Lord comes to John in the desert. He makes the valley of the Jordan, the wilderness area, the place of his ministry. And he preaches over and over and over again, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. He wears coarse camel's hair for clothing. And he has a leather belt. He eats locusts. And wild honey. For 400 years, the prophets of God have been silent. For 400 years, there has been no word from the Lord. But now that silence is over. Here he is. Here is Elijah. Here is the prophet of God with words for his people. Just as Isaiah and Malachi had promised. John's call does not go unheeded. The people of God hear the voice of the prophet. And Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 3, in verses 5 and 6, Matthew 3, 5 and 6, Then Jerusalem... And all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. The word spread, and God's people heard the voice of God in the words of the prophet. And they responded. They came to John. They came to hear his message and to receive what he had to offer He was calling them back to God. He was calling them to repentance and to a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And he challenged them to once again be a covenant people, to once again be the people of God, to live before God in ways that would please God. But among those who came to him were Pharisees and scribes. And when they came to see John, they didn't come because they thought they needed to repent or because they thought there were changes that they needed to make in their life, they came to check up on John. They were as much afraid of John as they would be of Jesus later. And I'm sure that they really enjoyed the message that John had to hear for them. Wouldn't you like to be the object of this sermon beginning in verse 7? You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
bear fruit that is in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Isn't that just the kind of sermon you want to hear? But John isn't there to make friends. John is there to preach the word of the Lord. And he stands up before the great and the mighty and he preaches the word of the Lord. He shows people who came to him with good hearts what it meant to live before the Lord. Look at Luke chapter 3. Verses 10 through 14. Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. The soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. That is what it means to be the people of God. I don't think that's his whole sermon, but that's part of what he was telling God's people, what he was encouraging them to do. This is a taste of his message. And so his word falls on expectant and hopeful ears. People wanted to hear what John was saying. They had been longing for his words for a long time. God's people longed to be free. They longed for God to send the promised deliverer. And as John preaches this message, and as he confronts the religious leadership that is being unfaithful, people begin to think, This isn't just the forerunner. This isn't just the Elijah who comes first. Maybe this is the Christ. Maybe this is really the Messiah that we have been looking for. And as often as the question was asked, are you the Christ? John answered, Luke 3, verse 16, I baptize with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. A greater one is coming. One coming in the Holy Spirit and I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. The whole of John's ministry probably didn't last more than 18 months or two years. But one day, he was in a place called Bethany beyond Jordan, just to the north of the Dead Sea. Crowds of people have pressed in on him, coming to hear his message and to receive his immersion. And at one point, John looks up and he sees Jesus coming. I wonder, did John smile? Was there a look of joy on his face when he saw Jesus coming down the hill to the river? Or was there fear on the face of John? He was about to stand in the presence of God. He knew who this was. He knew who this was. 
Well, however he felt, his voice fills the valley. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1, 29. This is who I've been talking about. This is the one that I have said was coming who is greater than me. Jesus comes to John. And what will he say to John? Will he give him instructions? Will will he tell him he can go sit down? Does he give him a word of thanks? No. He shocks John. He asks John to immerse him. And John must have been stunned. I need to be immersed by you. I can't immerse you. And Jesus tells him, let it be this way for now. It's right to do this. It's proper to do this. It's right to fulfill all righteousness. And with that, John baptizes Jesus. Matthew 3, verses 13 to 17. Jesus does not stay with John. He goes and he begins his own ministry. And John continues to bear witness to Jesus. He continues to call people to repentance, to tell them how to live before God. But we've come to the sunset. John's work is nearly over. A little while later, John was further north in the Jordan at a place called Salem in Samaria. And John's disciples see that people are flocking to Jesus. Everyone is going to him now and not coming to John. And they ask John about it. And John responds in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 27. John says to his disciples, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John knows what time it is. He knows that his work is over and that Jesus must increase and he must decrease. John's life ends in Herod's prison. His work to call men and women to repent of their sin is over. But when God gave him that commission, God didn't tell him to overlook anyone's sins. You preach the message. That was the charge. And so when King Herod takes his brother Philip's wife as his own, John tells the adulterous king that it is unlawful for him to have her. Look at Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 6, verse 14 to 29. Now, it's not hard to imagine at all that that message didn't go over very well with the royal family. Herod and Herodias weren't at all happy to hear such charges. And the king cannot simply ignore them. He can't pretend that John isn't around and 
And so he arrests John. And he puts John in prison. Herodias wants John dead. She wants him dead immediately. But Herod is afraid of John. He knows what John is. He knows that John is a righteous man. He knows that John is a holy man. And somewhere, perhaps in the back of his mind, he knows that John comes from God and has a message from God. And so for a while, he protects him from his wife's wrath. And as he did, he kept coming down to John's cell. He kept coming to to hear John and to talk to John, to listen to John. We don't know how long John's imprisonment lasted. But while he was in Herod's prison, he got word of what Jesus was doing. And John had a question in his mind about Jesus and what Jesus was doing. And so he sent his disciples to see Jesus. And John's question is recorded in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. Matthew 11, 2 through 6. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered him, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now some students of John's life, students of Matthew argue that in these verses, John is expressing his lack of faith, that John is expressing his doubts about Jesus being the Messiah. But that surely misses John. That doesn't fit in with what we know of the life of John, the character of John. But we can appreciate where he is. He is at the end of his life. All of the work that God gave him to do has been completed. And death is approaching. And as death approaches, he wants one more affirmation. One more word of encouragement. That everything he gave his life for and everything that he was dying for was genuine and true and right. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the one that they were looking for. So this is not the question of doubt. This is a question of faith, seeking assurance. John Zen comes at a birthday party, one that Herod throws for himself. Look at Mark 6, 21 to 29. All the important people are invited to the birthday party. Everyone comes to celebrate with the king. And they have some entertainment. And the entertainment that night is provided by Herodias' daughter, Salome. She comes before the king and his guests, and she dances for them. And Herod is so impressed with her that he offers her as much as half of his kingdom for her reward. 
Imagine that. One dance and she can have half of the kingdom that Aird owns. Well, she runs to her mother. What should I ask for? What should I ask the king for, for my reward? And Herodias sees her opportunity. She says to Salome, go back and tell him that you want the head of John the Baptist now. Well, the girl goes back and she tells the king in front of all of his guests. He's in a place that he can't go back on his word. And scripture says he was exceedingly sorry. He can't believe that she would ask for something like that, but he can't back down. And because he can't, John, the forerunner of the Christ, the voice crying in the wilderness, Elijah, is beheaded in prison. John's disciples are allowed to take his body and bury him. And they go and they tell Jesus what happened. And that becomes a turning point in Jesus' ministry. What did God think of John the Baptist? What, would, what is God's evaluation of the forerunner and the work that he did? Well, Jesus said this of John in Matthew 11, verse 7 through 15. As they went away, John be- Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. No one born among women is greater than John the Baptist. That's God's evaluation of this servant. What is there for us in the life of John the Baptist? Well, I think there are four things. One is that the life of John the Baptist is necessary for us to tell the story of Jesus. If we're really going to preach the gospel, if we're really going to follow Scripture's way of telling the story of Jesus, we have to begin with the story of John the Baptist. He's a part of the account. He's part of the story. If you look at all four Gospels, in one fashion or another, they all begin with John. And the Gospels all tell us that John has a very unique and very special place in God's plan of redemption. He has a significant place in God's plan. He is the one who prepares the way. He is the last prophet. He is the one who says, here he is. He's coming. And when the Gospels tell the story of Jesus, they start with John the Baptist. So he has a significant role. And in our preaching of the Gospel, in our understanding of the Gospel, we need to begin with John just like the four Gospels do. We need to appreciate the place that he has in God's scheme of redemption. Second, John is not listed in Hebrews 11 among the great people of faith 
But he belongs among the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12, whose faithfulness encourages our own. We shouldn't think for a moment that John's task was an easy one. He lived a rough life. I don't know about you, but locust just doesn't sound like a good meal to me. And to live out in the wilderness by himself. He faced opposition from political leaders. He was attacked by the very religious leaders who should have understood in an instant who he was. And should have been open and receptive to his message. But they were anything but open. He stood there and he watched his disciples, the people that he had taught, the people that he had brought into a relationship with him, walk away from him and go follow Jesus. How many have an ego that could stand up to that? And yet through all of that, through all of that, he faithfully does what God sent him into the world to do. He is faithful to the very end to the work that God gave him to do. He calls Israel back to God, even when it costs him his life. He prepared the way for the Messiah. He was faithful unto death. Third thing that I would point out to us is that John's work continues to be important to us. John still bears witness to Jesus, doesn't he? From the pages of Scripture, we still hear him saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We still hear his testimony. In the fourth gospel, John the Apostle says that he's writing these things so that we will believe. He tells the story of Jesus so that we will come to obedient faith in Jesus. And in telling that, John the Baptist holds a significant place because he's the first witness. He's the first one to stand up and say to us, to give us, to give us evidence, to bear witness, this is the Christ. This is the Savior. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And finally, John speaks to our life and service. When we read all that the gospel say about him, it's very clear, I think, that he lived close to God. That he lived so close to God that God was able to do his work through him. You and I as Christians are called to live that close to God. To have a heart that is so set on God, that is so close to God, that God can do his work through us. In particular, we can do as John did, and we can point people to Jesus. You know, John couldn't save anyone. There was nothing about John, there was nothing about his work in itself that would have given salvation to everyone, anyone. And yet he pointed him, people, to the one who could save them. You and I can't save anyone. It's not within our lives or our abilities to save anyone from their sins. But like John the Baptist, we can still say he's the one. He's the Savior. And so let's follow John's example. Let's be faithful before God in being the kind of people that God wants us to be. And let's point others to Jesus. Seems to me that John is such an important person. He has such an important place in God's plan for salvation. And he stands among the faithful people of God. 
And he says to us, and he challenges us to stand among those people as well. He may have played second fiddle, but he belongs to the company of righteous people. And if we want to be what God wants us to be, we will be that same kind of people. We will be people who long for righteousness and for holiness and for godliness. Like John, we will love God with a love that exceeds all other loves. I think that's why I enjoy preaching sermons about these people. It's not that they were perfect. It's not that Zachariah and Elizabeth or Mary and Joseph or Ruth and Naomi, it's not that those people were somehow sinlessly perfect, because none of them were. But they were people who loved God with everything that they were, and who walked with him and lived in covenant with him. And they stand in Scripture and they say to us, come and walk the same way. Be the same kind of people. This is how it is to be the people of God. And so this week, may God bless us as we seek to follow in their footsteps, as we seek to be like Jesus. May he strengthen us and help us to be the people that he wants us to be. We're going to finish with a song of encouragement. If someone needs prayer tonight, needs to do God's will tonight, won't you come while we stand and sing?